going to read for us. I'm going to read for us Matthew 4, and I'm reading from verses 12 um, through to 23. So Matthew 4, 12 to 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadows of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Amen. So I had um, had a really good rest between um, Christmas and, uh, well, when I came back on the 10th. <laughs> I'm trying to remember there when I came back. And it was, it was so good, you know, to get a rest. And I had this, you know, I had so much, I had so much download actually from the Lord because I was able to switch off. I had no distractions and it was just, it was just lovely. And I said to the Lord, I says, oh, I need to make this, this I need to actually do more of this. Right, Lord, I'm going to do that. You know, whenever I come back to work, I'm going to be making time. You know, because it really was such a productive and restful time, you know, mentally, you know, spiritually and physically as well. It was just so good. But, but, oh, I've got back into my old ways again. It's not even, what, two weeks? <laughs> and I am back into my old ways. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I thought, Laura, the theme of repentance really is what you're needing here. It's so true because I thought you really there's there's this spirit of busyness. You need to really look into this, you know, focus in on it, you know, pray into it, and think why why do you need to make yourself so busy? What's driving this? And then once I know, I really need to, I need to repent, and I need to say to the Lord, right, Lord, you take this from me. And ensure that I make time for, you know, for you to just to be quiet, to be still, 
to think and just take away this busyness. Now, if you asked for a definition of repentance, it's likely that many would include in their answer something about saying sorry. You know, and many a prayer of repentance in our worship will reinforce that definition. And, and that's that. And when you hear the old school preachers, you know, repent, repent. You know, you've got this feeling, oh, I need to say sorry, I need to say sorry. But, you know, although the word repentance can have that sense of remorse and sadness attached to it, the primary meaning of the Greek word is to change your mind. You know, so this is like a realignment, changing your mind, changing it, you know, to do something new. Creating new habits even, you know. And the gospel reading we heard, Matthew 4, it suggests a broader definition. Jesus proclaims, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So if repentance is just saying sorry, sorry, what has that got to do with the kingdom of heaven being close by? Now, we hear today that Jesus begins his mission and his ministry by leaving his hometown of Nazareth and going to Galilee. And he makes his home in the town of Capernaum. So he's left behind, you know, all that he's grew up with, all that he's known. And he himself is starting afresh. He's starting something anew. Now, Capernaum is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is the most northerly district in Palestine. I'm even pointing to it. It's way up there. (laughs) It's not a large area. It's only 50 miles from north to south and 20 miles from east to west. And on the west, it doesn't actually reach the Mediterranean coast at that time as that coastal strip of land was possessed by the Phoenicians. And to the northeast, the land was bounded by Syria. And to the south of Galilee was the territory of the Samaritans. And the great roads of the world, roads bringing trade, roads bringing people, they all passed through Galilee. The way of the sea led from Damascus through Galilee, right down to Egypt and to Africa. The road to the east led through Galilee away to the frontiers. And William Barclay says that the traffic of the world passed through Galilee. In contrast, Judea in the south was isolated and secluded. As it was said, um, Judea is the road to nowhere. Galilee is the road to everywhere. So because the Galileans were in touch with so many non-Jewish people and thinking, you know, they weren't insular. They were open to new ideas. And even though it was a small, you know, small area, Galilee was densely populated And this was probably because the soil was so rich 
and the land was so fertile and it was every bit of land was put to agricultural use. So there was olives growing, there was, oh, there was so much. And Roman historian Josephus tells us that there were um, 204 villages in Galilee, but none with a population fewer than 15,000 people. So that's a lot of people. And now they seem bigger than villages to me. I'm from a village, you know. <laughs> there wasn't 15,000 people in it. <laughs> so Josephus tells us also that the people were a certain kind of people in Galilee. They were very fond of innovations and by nature they were disposed to changes and they delighted in seditions. And they were a rebellious folk. They were ever ready to follow a leader and to begin an insurrection. They were notoriously quick in temper and also given to quarrelling. Yet, with all that, they were the most chivalrous of men. Josephus goes on to say that the Galileans were, were never destitute of courage and cowardice was never a characteristic of the Galileans. They were ever more anxious for honour than for gain. So all of this, the temperament of the Galileans, the size of the population, their openness to welcoming new ideas makes Galilee the perfect place for Jesus to begin his ministry and his mission. This was an area and, and these were the people who would be open to repenting, to changing their minds and their lives because God's kingdom was near. So Jesus begins preaching his message around this fertile area of land. Not just fertile in soil, but fertile with the people who were ready and open and willing to, to let the seeds of his message fall and grow. And what is interesting to note is the Greek word. You know how I'm a wee geek, you know. Uh, I like the Greek word for preach in this passage is kerousian, which, uh, which means herald's proclamation from a king. And who is the king Jesus is speaking of? God. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change your mind, change your ways, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Words direct from God. And then Jesus calls his first disciples, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Now, when Jesus calls the fishermen to follow, he didn't ask them to say sorry first, but he did call them to a life of repentance. Jesus calls them to change their mind, to change their, li their lives and to follow him. And what happened? They immediately left their boats and followed Jesus. Now, when I was younger, I always struggled with this, you know, this seeming immediacy of the settling down, you know, the settling down, setting down of a career, you know, to follow Jesus. You know, these men had families. 
fishing was their livelihood. And they were giving it all up to follow Jesus into the unknown. But as we heard last week, when we, heard, when we read from the Gospel of John, Andrew was already a disciple of John the Baptist before he encountered Jesus. And it was Andrew who introduced his brother to Jesus. So I think that there was this, there was already a relationship developing between Jesus and the brothers. You know, they've been spending time with Jesus, listening to him speak and preach, getting to know him as a leader, you know, finding out what his mission is, getting to know him as a man. And they're now in that place, spiritually and mentally, where their minds and their lives have been changed. And they are ready to make it official by accepting Jesus' invitation to join his mission and his ministry. And perhaps James and John too, maybe they had already known Jesus and they had been spending time with him too, getting to know him. So maybe it wasn't quite as immediate as what it seems here. And as they spent, you know, and as they spend time together, Jesus, I'm sure, will have seen in each of these men what gifts and what skills they had, what gifts the Lord had given them, and that that could be used to grow his ministry, to bring people to God and ultimately transform and change lives. As fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John would have needed patience, perseverance, courage, and an understanding of moving at the right time. All, all, all skills and characteristics that Jesus would have used in his ministry. They immediately left their boats and followed Jesus. And that suggests that repentance is about realignment rather than simply saying sorry. To be part of the kingdom adventure, they needed to realign themselves, their lives towards Jesus. And the same is just as true now as it was then. To see the kingdom, we need to be in relationship with Jesus and to turn to him. To reorientate ourselves and our lives to him. And this isn't a one-off, friends. We need to do it daily. We need to ask ourselves, what's stopping me today from seeing God's kingdom? And to realign ourselves accordingly every day. And that might, of course, involve saying sorry. But it's not all. And that's not the be all and end all of it. So repent and let the adventure begin. We're on a journey and who knows where it might take us. If the example of the disciples is anything to go by, it might be a bumpy ride. And we're in for a few surprises along the way, most definitely. Now, this prospect might lead some of us, you know, to, 
to balk at it, you know, to be frightened. And maybe we feel that we're too old for adventure now. Maybe we think we're too busy with family and work. Maybe we prefer the comfort and security of where and who we are. After all, there are few guarantees with this adventure. Certainly not promises of health or prosperity. Indeed, sometimes the opposite. Because following Jesus has a cost. But this didn't stop the disciples and it shouldn't stop us. The kingdom was good news then and it is good news now. And so many people need to hear this good news. Peter, Andrew, James and John, they recognized this. We don't know what was in their minds. We don't know what their motives might have been. But we know that they didn't look back. They leapt at the opportunity, wherever it would take them. Could there be anything better? And does. Jesus calls us to repent and follow him. About turn. Could there be anything better?